Good morning, boys and girls. Welcome back to the second edition of the uh, podcast. We're still considering names. We'll start off the podcast with shout-outs to uh, our current name suggestions, which are in the mix. First of all is to Daniel Olsen, Powell, right in the kisser. Second of all to James Jenner, Cameron's couch. Mm, I like Cameron's couch. Now, there is no couch There's here, no couch. but it could be a metaphor. Uh, and the third one is to a user who we don't know personally on our YouTube channel, but we want to let you know that we appreciate you. So we're going to give you a quick shout out. Alex, you want to read out who that is? Uh, 1911 greater than all. Uh, what about two bloomed onions in reference for being Australian and drinking? Thank you to 1911 greater than all. It's a strange name, but good suggestion. All right, beautiful. And also, as you can probably tell, we got a new camera, new camera angle. It's exciting. New books underneath the microphones. It's all going on over here. It's all happening. Um, so that's going. Uh, that's going well. What do you? Uh, what do you want to talk about today? Well, I've got a couple of items on the agenda on the um, potential kind of topics. Well, um, I'll, I'll give. I'll give you a quick, quick run through. Um, Basically, what we've got... Uh, look, we don't really want to talk about it, but I feel like it's our obligation as public broadcasters. Uh, lip spill, so that's going on as we speak. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the minimum wage. Uh, and, of course, um, the man everyone loves to hate, Donald Trump. So, if you're keen on hearing a bit about minimum wage, Donald Trump... Uh, lip spill. The lip spill. Check in. Get ready, because... We're about to blow your mind, maybe. So I'll give a bit of an introduction to the Libs Bill. Maybe you want to actually check the odds if you can. I don't know if you can. Let's have a look at sports bet. We've had our Prime Minister for the last year, Malcolm Turnbull, Big Mal. He started with a pretty high approval rating. I think it might have even been around 70 or 80%. Anyway, hasn't really gone up. It's gone on a pretty strong downward trajectory for a while. Uh, and it's led to a point where the base of the of the Liberal Party was... Well, there's essentially two two sides of the Liberal Party. There's the moderate side and there's the conservative side. Tony Abbott, for uh, since John Howard, has been the leader of the conservative side and Malcolm has more or less been the leader of the moderates. Um, so when Tony's prime ministership failed, uh, Malcolm came in. Everyone uh, loved the idea of Malcolm because he was kind of... Everyone thought he could shine in business because before politics he was... Um, I think he was... Was he a lawyer? Was he a businessman? No, I'm pretty sure he was an investment banker. He's an investment banker. And, um, pe- That's my understanding. People thought he could do a really good job with the economy while being kind of progressive on some of the social issues. Um, He's one of those... Uh, uh, what they thought he was going to be one of these kind of new breed, um, fiscally conservative but socially progressive, mm. um, kind of centre-right leaders. Um, and... You know, maybe it could have worked. He just ran into some problems where those two, uh, those two goals or ideals kind of clashed. And the main one that kind of erupted was uh, the tension between fiscal conservatism and climate change policy, um, where you could not really have uh, clean energy targets, Paris Agreement, um, you know, investment in green energy or a carbon tax or anything, or any of the policy suggestions uh, that would be economically integrated to uh, prevent global warming, um, as well as having uh, kind of a freer market. Uh, well, more economy. specifically, downward pressure on power prices. Downward pressure on power prices, yeah. So that's that's kind of the, the, the two, it seems now diametrically opposed positions, is the idea that you can commit to a, a quote, greener future while simultaneously reducing the cost of power. Um, what we've seen so far, and obviously it's a massive hot button issue at the minute, is um, is is kind of the idea that you just can't do both at the same time, mm. um, for a number of reasons. Um, but just quickly before we move on, the lib spill. We got the markets. I got live markets here. This is our sports bet. I don't. I don't want twelve thirty five p.m. Eastern time on the twenty fourth of August on Friday. It might not be released. For a while, but you'll get you'll get the live tension. You'll feel the atmosphere as if you're uh, as right if you're in here the room. in the moment. Even as if, if it's even if it's next year, you'll feel like you're right in the room as Australia doesn't know who the next prime minister is. 
Well, they don't. Well, they don't even know who the next Liberal Party leader is going to be, let alone the Prime Minister. So at the moment, we got the odds here. So we got Peter Dutton, the Dutmeister, one dollar ninety-five. We got Scomo, never have a FOMO, two dollars forty-five. Julie the Archbishop, four dollars fifty. T Rex, aka Mr T T Abbott, twenty-six dollars. Matthias the Terminator Corman, fifty-one. Um, Greg Goodwill Hunting Hunt, sixty-one. And crispy pine at seventy one dollars. <laughs> um, we've obviously got Frydenberg at eighty one, but kind of past, I would say Bishop. Um, they're, they're what we would call no hopers. Well, even um, side note, there's a little plug to our um, a bit of nepotism going on here. Mm. Ross Cameron last night on the outside has actually predicted a uh, combination of hasty Angus Taylor, oh, Tony <laughs> Abbott ticket combination of two of the three which he thinks will catch the hail mary 80 meter throw and score the touchdown but that remains to be seen now well we actually, I, I mean we actually have to stand talk a bit further away from them okay yeah it, are we having some mic issues yeah just keep going okay um obviously um it's it's going to be tough to tell um what we have to understand as well the reason why um kind of tony abbott's is not in the running, although he may be the one who would actually potentially win the next election out of all the possible candidates. One of the reasons why um, he's not there is because uh, these moderates, this moderate kind of left-leaning faction within the Liberals, really do hate his guts. Um, they really don't like him. Uh, they would much rather see the house burn than Tony Abbott save it. Um, so at the minute, we've got... So Turnbull had um, delayed the meeting until he was able to try and gather support for his two favourable kind of... Um, Which are... So what we would see, what we see in the current climate is we would see uh, ScoMo, Scott Morrison and Julie Bishop yeah. looking to kind of replace Malcolm as uh, head of the moderates. And then you have Dutts uh, being the leader of the Conservatives and not really... a of the conservative side of the Liberal Party, but not really a plan B for the conservatives. They've got Dutts, but there's this big cloud hanging over Dutts. There is. About this, is it 44C or something? Um, some section of the Constitution, which basically says a sitting, like, I think it's a sitting member can't profit from government programs. Basically something along those lines. Anyway, Peter Dutton's uh, wife runs two, two childcare centres, which uh, Dutts obviously benefits from. And there's recently a policy change where... Uh, instead of the government providing child su- child care support directly to the parents, they provide it to the child care centres. Um, so Dutch could very well be in the firing line. And there are a range of, as we understand it, Liberals who are hesitant to overthrow Malcolm and support Dutton because they feel like if they support Dutton and Dutton is ineligible or if Dutton takes over and has this massive cloud hanging over him as he governs, they feel like it'll look bad on them and it'll be even worse for the Liberal Party. Yeah. Um, so even though there's a range of people who might actually prefer to see Dutton Prime Minister, they haven't yet committed to supporting him. So there's we're in there's a bit of... Uh, we're in Liberal Party purgatory, essentially, where no yeah. one knows where they want to go. Kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, so the, the, the relevant section of the Constitution is Section 44, uh, and pretty much that's, that, that says that any person who has any direct or indirect pecuniary interest in any agreement with the Commonwealth is ineligible to be chosen or of sitting as a senator or MP. So not only uh, kind of as a member of the cabinet, but more broadly um, as, a, as a senator or MP. But I think it's worth noting, this is, this is not new news either. This has been, kind of, this is, this has been uh, around for a while. Um, no, it is. It's new in that it was broken recently. Broken recently, but we wonder why it was broken exactly at the same time that Dutton challenged. That's right. So, so the, my understanding is that both Labor and Liberal were aware of this for uh-huh. quite a while. Yeah, have ha- ha- been sitting on this for quite a while. Um, but it is obviously it's awfully coincidental on on that exactly at the time that Dutton challenges that this comes as a. Um, as an issue, and and not only that, Malcolm um, did not really do anything to calm the storm surrounding the um, mm. the, the status of Dutton, but rather um, kind of prolonged yeah. the torture, and so to speak. What we see from uh, Malcolm, a lot of people have regarded as kind of disgraceful or cowardly, 
insofar as um, Turnbull seems to be, you know, doing the scorched earth policy on the Liberal Party, where yeah. every every move he takes back, he burns the ground. He burns the ground. So, um, and so, for example, Malcolm Turnbull has said. Um, which might even be a consistent position. He said he doesn't think ex-Prime Ministers should still be in the Parliament. Now, what that means is that he says if he is kicked out as leader, he will resign from the party. Now, the reason why that's important is because the Liberal Party has a one-seat majority in... Is, is it the House or the Senate? Can't remember. Anyway, so basically, if Turnbull resigns, um, the Liberal Party will be a minority government and they'll need Bob Catter... Uh, to get anything through, to get any legislation through. Um, so that puts the Liberal Party in, an, in kind of an awful position where they won't really be able to get anything done until the next election. Um, not only that, he has really played up the Dutton elegi- eligibility thing, which yeah. a lot of people regard as minor. Um, I'm not so sure it's minor, but... I'm pretty sure it's minor. The advice um, from the Solicitor General so far has mm. been that he's pretty much eligible obviously it's not concrete yet but this is as i mentioned before i'm fairly certain that this is something that's been Mm. kind of well known within the party and had it been an Mm. issue before with such a slim majority it would have been brought up Mm. and more than that uh to flip turnbull you need 43 people in the liberal party to um agree to flip him now turnbull has asked to see those 43 signatures before he would call a meeting in which he might be flipped now, there's no precedent for the Prime Minister being able to see the signatures. And one of the reasons why people are hesitant to flip him is because Malcolm is quite factionally powerful. And so what that means basically is that um, he's in control of a lot of different moving pieces. Mm. Um, so basically, there's this, there are kind of teams where they say, well, if you help us, we'll help you. And if you don't help us, we'll try our best to smash you and get you voted out of your electorate, get you not pre-selected uh, and a range of kind of these things. And so people are feeling like um, if Malcolm knows that they're flipping on him, then he's going to make their life hell. And Australia is one of the countries that has a secret ballot in that room. So if they were to flip Turnbull in the party room... Well, that's a a party choice. That's a party choice. Yeah. Um, So usually uh, that anonymity would be justified by people saying they can vote with their conscience. Um, but right now, it seems like there's a range of people who might like to vote against him, but because Turnbull is demanding to see those 43 signatures before he calls the meeting, sure. they're scared of getting bullied. Now, that's kind of cowardly if you feel like Turnbull should be flipped and you're worried about your position, um, but you can definitely understand it. 100%. I think, but if we also look back to when Abbott got flipped by Turnbull, that was by an anonymous ballot. That was not by a hands-up policy. Uh, number two, the thing we should also remember is that one of the reasons why Malcolm is doing this is that it is a total bullying tactic. Um, obviously, you would hope that the MPs would have enough guts to put their name to their to their position anyway. Um, but obviously, considering the nature of kind of power broking and the factional um, dynamic within the Liberal Party, the idea that putting your name on something could have negative repercussions is obviously a very real mm. Uh, mm. A, a real concern. Um, look. In terms of, well, what do you reckon? Do you reckon, who would be your pick? Um, who do I reckon? I got absolutely no idea who's going to get it. I wouldn't bet my money on it at all. Um, I think um, the thing that will be interesting is... Well, when- I'm sorry, just breaking. Um, so we had previous um, previous news that it, it was it was a lot... A lot further away. Dutton now out at two dollars fifteen cents. We got Scomo at two dollars twenty five. The gap between those two has closed considerably. It looks like there is a possibility that um, Malcolm has really uh, leaned on a bunch of these guys within within the party room in favour of essentially for, for Scomo. Mm. Yeah, well, it will be interesting if Scomo takes over because, as far as I kind of read it, I feel like Malcolm is. Um, Pretty much the best uh, package you could get. I mean, he speaks well. Um, cosmetically. Cosmetically. Say co- in terms of cosmetics um, and, and the optics. And so yes. kind of putting a, just a new optics on the same policy which got him here would be a strange move um, by the Liberal Party because it doesn't seem like there'd be a lot of policy change if Malcolm is you know backing ScoMo or Bishop or whoever it is. Um, so that seems kind of strange to me, but understandable. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, you got to, what you got to look at. Um, one of the ways you can kind of tell is the the two party preferred versus prime minister. Uh, those numbers. Um, what you have to remember is that Bill Shorten is unbelievably unpopular. He is mm. extremely unpopular. Yet Labor does much much better in the two party preferred. Um, not so much because. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull is more likable than Bill Shorten. It is only because Bill Shorten is so unlikable. <laughs> um, that gap had recently closed, but um, yeah, had then blown out again. If you yeah, like if you know, there's you'd be pretty hard pressed to find a more uninspiring leader than Bill Shorten. And if you're kind of even competitive, if Bill Shorten's competitive with you, I think you're doing a pretty bad job. It, it is remarkable, isn't it? Um, Bill Shorten is a walking sl- sloppy handshake. <laughs> That's how I would describe him. He is a, a wet cloth bloke who couldn't punch his way out of a wet paper bag. Um, the fact that we're even in this conversation is remarkable, considering he's, he's essentially a union puppet. He, he used to work for the unions. Um, has presented no real... He gets stuck in. Well, he's presented no real inspiring yeah. policy. And like, But this is this is what kind of is driving the average, uh, kind of your, your regular liberal voter up the wall, right? It's because of what what's happened is the fact that Malcolm hasn't been able to really drive the screws in and nail this bloke um, based on policy has meant that what, what you've also ha- seen happen is that you've had the Liberal Party itself splinter substantially, particularly on the edges. Mm. Um, yeah, Corey Bernardi's broken Corey off. Corey uh, more detection towards uh, One Nation. Um, even the Shooters and Fishers. Even the Shooters got, and Fishers. They picked up that seat in... Um, Anyway, I can't remember the name. They picked up a seat in a pretty important by-election, I think, that the Liberals lost um, recently. Anyway, Alex can look that up. But, um, yeah, there's definitely, like, a lot more support for Pauline Hanson these days. One of the one of the reasons is because she's um, not even, like, as, as, as people agreeing with her policies. It's more, I think much more of it is that people just like the fact that she's honest. And there's... Yeah. There's not a lot of honesty coming from the right-hand side of the Liberal Party, and that's obviously you can understand it because if they have um, their prime minister, they you know they have to try and support him even if they don't agree with it. But so the only people on the right that are being honest is is kind of like Pauline Hanson. Um, sometimes you know, and I wouldn't, I don't even know if Shooters and Fishers you'd say are right. Um, you get Corey Bernardi, but Corey Bernardi's not he's he's not really a big player these days. Um, he lost a lot of momentum. I don't know know yeah. what really happened with him, but. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of honesty coming out of Pauline Hanson's side of the house, um, willing to call the government and Labor Party out. And I think, um, she, you know, there's just not a lot of options for people who are centre-right, um, who look at the Liberal Party and just, you know, don't agree. Yeah, and this is, this is what, but this has kind of happened on both sides of politics. We've seen it, we've seen it in, in the US with the Democrats. Um, the, the people on the left, a, a lot of them are saying, look, I'm still on the left. I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. The goalpost changed. The goalpost changed substantially. When the move, the move towards uh, divisive identity politics, race baiting, sensationalizing uh, the immigration issue to the extent where ordinary American citizens feel left out, um, has left many kind of traditionally like slightly left voters in the US feeling disenfranchised with the system and the party. Um, and we've kind of seen a similar thing, in my opinion, uh, on the right in Australia. Um, fiscal conservatism, um, as well as social conservatism, has kind of been left, left on the back burner and Malcolm has adopted kind of this labour light policy where he's attempted to uh, scalp the middle but in doing so has totally alienated his entire base yeah sure that's why one of the interesting recent developments in, in politics after you see all this kind of splintering between um kind of traditional uh sections of the political spectrum whether it be left and right is now shaping more into a nationalist versus globalist perspective yeah. kind of an insider versus uh, outsiders or outsiders versus no, insiders citizen rather. versus bureaucrat almost citizen versus bureaucrat um, and it's a new kind of new spectrum um, yeah. and where and and the the places where we see this uh, you know most glaringly is obviously United States with Donald Trump which we'll talk about in a second mm. you see it in Italy where the populace just won the election yeah. where it was uh, the five star movement and I forget the name of the party anyway 
this uh, kind of populist movement, which was literally started by a comedian um, and then became intertwined with a kind of what people would describe as a far-right populist political party that's just taken over the government. You also see it in, in Brexit. You see it in France with Marine Le Pen. You see it in, yeah. in Germany with Ang- Angela Merkel's collapsing numbers. You see it in Poland. Even in Canada. You see it, you see it in Hungary with Viktor Orban. Yeah. You see it in Canada with reactions against Trudeau. Trudeau. The Liberal Party. Um, yeah. And it's much more an, uh, a kind of globalist versus nationalist battle than it is a left versus right battle. Uh, nowadays and spectrum has changed so much one of the interesting things one of the interesting developments is if you're alive 30 you know 40 but probably 30 years ago free speech was almost an exclusive issue on the left you had christian conservatives on the right who were the people saying we should ban uh you know rappers like nwa we should ban the simpsons we should ban um cartoons and it was like kind of the left's big big thing we should ban criticism against like Viet- the vietnam war or yeah, things sure. like that now that issue has totally shifted to the right yeah. where instead of banning things for being kind of inappropriate again you know offensive against christianity you get you know they're offensive against islam or they're offensive against gays and range and, of people yeah, with sure. all the, all whatever the, type the of intersectional yeah. identity uh, you might have so that's an interesting change in the spectrum as well um, but so as far as we can tell right now, it's much more uh, a globalist versus nationalist political landscape. And the one we want to focus in on a little bit more today is the Donald Trump. Um, so, Alex, what, what I want to ask you is what sure. would you say to your average kind of Australian who kind of sees the media the smashed of Donald Trump? Smashed Donald, what would you say is kind of the biggest misconception of Donald Trump or the thing that people uh, should be hearing as a way to... Um, kind of analyze the Donald Trump thing that's not just kind of a hysterical uh, you know surface level analysis sure um, the, the big one for me that always you know cracks me up a little bit is the idea uh, the Donald Trump is racist that's that's what that's what um, gets me and, and my first the first thing I always say is well can you give me a concrete example of where he's been blatantly racist and the classic one I get is, come on, are you, like, are you serious? Like, are you like, are you watching the same person? I'm like, just give me one, just give me one. It's actually difficult to find a um, an example of where he's been blatantly racist because uh, he hasn't been. Um, and not only that, if he is a racist, he's an unbelievably um, ineffective racist. And and the reason I'll say it is this because his policies have helped the minorities more than any previous president ever. Definitely more than Obama, who was black. Obama was black. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was black. Um, if anyone didn't know, it's black. It's a black man. Um, so th- I just want to. I just want to hit some. Hit, hit you guys with a little bit of uh, statistical information because obviously it's it's all well and good for me to say uh, minorities are doing better under Trump. That may have to be zucked. <laughs> we might have to zuck that bit. Um, so, uh, look, we've just had a report come out um, that says small business ownership among blacks are up 400% since Trump has been elected. Um, in 2018, 45% of small business owners were minorities, up from just 15% in 2018. Mm. Okay. Um, according to Rasmussen, a support among black voters for Donald Trump has doubled since election, since 2016. And it was, and the support for um, Donald Trump's election in 2016 was actually still a massive increase from the support of Romney earlier Mitt Romney, on. It doubled. Mitt Romney got 1% black support, Donald Trump got 8% black yeah. support, and since then has doubled. Well, he's more than doubled it. He's, we're talking mag- orders of magnitude now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and one, I was, one person I was talking to yesterday, one of, just kind of a family friend who's not even particularly, doesn't really like Donald Trump, but he says when we talk about, um, you know, kind of the media and general reactions to Donald Trump, he's, he said to me that BS walks, BS walks. He said, if you're a black guy in America, you hear all this stuff about how bad it's going to be for you under Donald Trump, and then you kind of realize it's been 18 months, um, nothing bad has really happened to me. 
I got uh, more I, money in my paycheck. I got, I, I got a job, which I didn't... My, my brothers and, you know, my cousins, they're starting to get jobs as well. Yeah. Uh, things might actually be looking up. I get more money in my paycheck because of the tax cuts. I've actually got a job. Um, if is Donald it? Trump... is This is the thing. If Donald Trump is a racist, he is incredibly ineffective. And one of the things that... Um, one of the things that would actually be really uh helpful to black communities who don't really have jobs who don't have a lot of prospects uh you might not relate the two but is actually donald trump's immigration policy because one of the things it's not actually like there's um there might be a deficiency of jobs right it's not like we actually need to create more jobs it's like we actually need to just give the jobs to american people we need to stop businesses being able to pay illegal immigrants hardly anything yeah so then the american citizens actually you know don't get the jobs because they have to pay because these businesses would have to pay them more money and tax or whatever. It'd be much easier to pay an immigrant hardly anything, give him cash in hand. Um, so if you're a black guy and you want to start moving up in the world or a black girl or whoever you might be, if you didn't have a good education from the government or you grew up in a hard place and you see jobs that you know you could do, you could start developing skills, start getting training, start earning an income, um, but you just can't get access to it because there are several million other people who, if they... You know who exclude you from the job market? Yeah, uh, uh, no, you're exactly right. And um, look, obviously, we're going to touch on the minimum wage later. Um, but what I would say, just as a kind of a teaser, is that there is not a single more discriminatory policy against low-skilled minority workers than the minimum wage. There is not no single policy that has done more damage to minority and poor communities and the minimum wage. And obviously, we're going to touch on that and kind of flesh that out a bit a little bit later. Uh, but I just want to leave that with you. And obviously, kind of there is this massive conception that um, the minimum wage has to be raised to meet the, st- the cost of living. Um, we will flesh that out later. But just kind of bear that in mind. Think it out in your head. Um, and I tell you what, if you go up to someone and say the minimum wage is totally discriminatory against poor people... Um, if you don't get your head kicked in, you'll definitely change some minds. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump's approval rating continues continues to rise, even though he's been plagued by you know, White House scandals, yeah, um, leaking, bad media, the, the Mueller investigation, yeah. the trials relating to that. Um, but uh, what do you think... Um, why do you think Donald Trump was an appealing candidate to many Americans? Um, and why do you think it was surprising to the political class? The first thing I would, I, I would say, and uh, like I often have this conversation, um, first thing I would say is that what you, also, what you have to remember is that it was, it was a binary choice. It was a two-horse race. Um, you had a choice between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Now, now, a, a, a vote for Donald Trump is, is not necessarily an endorsement of Donald Trump. It can also be an indictment against Hillary Clinton. Um, so at the same time as, uh, a, a, as the election was coming up, you obviously had the email scandal with um, Hillary Clinton. You still had Benghazi, which was still floating over the top of Clinton. Um, the target money coming... You had campaign funds coming from Saudi Arabia... Um, for yeah. a supposedly feminist candidate. Sure. You had um, issues with Uranium One, where 20% of US uranium was had been sold to Russia under Secretary mm-hmm. Clinton. You had uh, advocacy for a no-fly zone in Syria, which may well have seriously sparked uh, tensions, if not some, you know, a proxy war with Russia in Syria. Yeah. Um. You, you, you've also had you also had uh, the alleged uh, rigging of the Democratic primaries against mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. You had um, Hillary being given debate questions by CNN, which yeah. kind of was a confirmation in a lot of people's eyes of uh, the kind of media holding hands with the Democratic Party. Sure. Anyway, is that enough? Just after <laughs> bashing Hillary, or well, I don't know if it's so much bashing Hillary is <laughs> like a lot of those wounds are self-inflicted. Let's be honest. Yeah. Oh, you had the murder of Seth Rich. That's or what I was going to say. Suicide. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, we're in deep territory now, aren't we? Um, look. So you had all that stuff hanging over the hanging over the head of the average voter. Now, 
What you also had at the same time was a bunch of kind of liberal elites. Oh, one more you also had. Go, yeah. Um, this is one that I found really interesting. Is when before Hillary was in Parliament, she was a lawyer. She defended, successfully defended, and accused child rapist. Well, one of the ways she defended him was she got the child rapist, alleged child rapist, take a lie detector test. He passed the lie detector test. Then Hillary's taped on the phone, um, just as the trial's going on or just after it, laugh, laughing about how she doesn't trust any more lie detectors ever again. Um, and so there was a lot of questions about her personality. People just thought she she may have been an evil person. Oh yeah, let's not also forget um, the treatment of um, the uh, her treatment of the people who came out and accused Bill Clinton of sexual misconduct. She pretty much destroyed them. She yeah. came out and um, yeah, pretty well, much she's married to a much a much sexual predator, sexual predator, way yeah. worse than any DJT. Well, DJT said he you know grabs them by the, you know let's fill put them in the blanks. But he said he, he also said they let me do it. Yeah, he, right? more, now, more, it well, seems he, like that's might even look, be look, that's not a defense of it. No, obviously it's a pretty vulgar a comment. But let's put it in, let's comment. put it in con- let's put it in comment. context. Um, what he was saying is that when you're kind of rich and tall and handsome, women come up to you and you can essentially grab them by the right. Um, it's not. It's a vulgar comment. I don't condone it. I condemn it. I think it's awful and it's vulgar. But he was not saying that you go out and grab women by the... Okay? That's not what he was saying. Now, we've spent about five minutes um, listing Hillary's track record, (laughs) which is um, not exactly stellar. So, let's just say... Let's remember that all of this was hanging over... Also, one more important thing was the Clinton Foundation, where... The, both of these like publics who'd been working, you know, Bill and Hillary, who'd been working in public service for like most of their lives, somehow have accumulated, accumulated a net worth of like 250 million. million. <laughs> it also happened that whenever somebody made a donation um, to the Clinton Foundation, yeah. Hillary would use the State Department to uh, help that person, whatever situation they were in. Well, for example, Julia Gillard gave yeah, like fifty. What? That's what I was gonna like say. Fifty mil or something. Fifty mil or something to the Clinton, money to the Clinton Foundation, um, who, by the way, were apparent raised like several million dollars to rebuild houses in Tahiti. Apparently, they only built one house there. Yeah. Um, anyway, gave them like fifty mil. Now Julia Gillard sits on the board of the Hillary Clinton Foundation or whatever, and gets like. Heaps and heaps of money every year after her political career, yeah. and also all this like status and stuff. It just seems totally paid for. It's a racket. It's a total um, racket. And that's the thing with the uranium one scandals. I think there were some Russian companies that made some donations to the or Russian affiliated companies made some donations to the Clinton Foundation, and then you know somehow or another they end up with twenty percent of America's uranium, while yeah. at this which Hillary orchestrated, while at the same time Hillary's out there bashing up Putin, saying you know. We have to stop Putin at all costs. He's the yeah. worst person. Donald Trump's in bed with Putin. It's like, girl, you just let him make heaps more nuclear bombs. Yeah. Like, let's get the priorities right. Um, like, Donald Trump Jr. takes a meeting with a Russian official in Trump Tower after Hillary had sold 20% <laughs> of US uranium to Russia. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, let's, let's... Obviously, that's done. That's the case against Hillary. It's pretty strong. As you can tell, we're very, um, we're we're very objective. In we're here. super objective. We hold no opinion. We just report facts. Actually. We're just facts. No fake news. <laughs> um, so you've got all this, all this uh, over the head of the average voter um, coming into the into the into the election, and then Donald Trump, who is um, flies off the cuff. He's not polished. He's not a career politician. He doesn't really know how it works. He was one of the. He was the only one who said. Um, he wouldn't support the the. He wouldn't necessarily support the the Republican candidate who 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 won. Yeah, but this is one thing I wanted to pick you up on when you said it's 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 definitely partially true that a vote for Trump might may have been like a vote against Hillary. But Donald Trump did also win the primaries against a range of kind of establishment Republican politicians. Yeah. Um, someone like Marco Rubio or Jeb Bush who didn't have those kind of clouds Jeb hanging Cruz. over. Um. Yeah. So he was still able to beat those guys as well. So what do you think was appealing to Donald Trump as opposed to establishment Republicans then? Um, Donald Trump 
was I think really one the the first the first um, candidate in a couple of decades to really push the idea that we're going to bring the jobs back home and we're going to, we're going to put Americans first. Um, we're sick of kind of looking after everyone else while the house is burning down. That was kind of the message, and I think that was that was really what resonated. Because obviously, the stuff on the periphery, him um, financing his own campaign, um, him uh, serious success in business, that was that was all kind of adds adds weight to the credential. But kind of the idea that for the first time in a while, after um, eight years of Obama, and you had all these jobs leaving America. For him to say, come back and say, look, I'm going to put America first and I'm going to get the deal done. That, the, the kind of the crux of it, I think that's what really resonated with, with, with mm. voters. Sure. I think, yeah, I think that's definitely true. Also, um, I think that people were fed up for a long time with both establishment parties. Yeah. They were fed up with Republicans under Bush and fed up with Obama. Um, I think there's a range of compassionate individuals. A lot of people say Trump is like a racist. Trump supporters are racist. I think there's also a range of compassionate individuals who just weren't happy that there's a bunch of, uh, refer to our last podcast, Middle Eastern civilians mm. getting um, involved unnecessarily in, in wars that we didn't need to go into. And sure. Donald Trump said we didn't yeah. need to be there. Yeah. Um, I think Donald Trump... Uh, also was the only one with a clear policy against ISIS where he says mm-hmm. our number one objective is to wipe out ISIS and yep. if uh, and if um, Assad takes over well then that's obviously that's obviously better than a state where we're at now yep. and so he said if Russia's happy to take care of that we're happy to let Russia take care of that we don't need American soldiers to go in and die um, to to kind of make the situation even worse um, we were supporting kind of we, we were supporting a mix a mismatch uh, of rebels who weren't even fighting really together. A lot of the rebels actually hated each other. Um, they just hated ISIS. They hated Assad. And the American foreign policy position was one that, well, we don't want ISIS to be there. We also don't want Assad to be there. So we're just going to create a situation in where no, in which where maybe no one's there. No one's, no one's there. But people yeah. are just continually fighting and dying, and civilians, you know, get, you know, have to evacuate or are killed in, you know, in the mix. Um, so that demonstrated, I think, a serious, um, and I think also people were just happy that we could maybe be friends with Russia instead of enemies. Kind of this idea that we always have to be enemies with Russia, um, I think, is not as good as the idea that well, if we can be friends, we should. Sure, sure. Um, but I mean, Mitt Romney, I, I believe, in, in two thousand eight, um, when he was running up against Obama in a debate, made the comment, kind of, where the interviewer said, "Well, what's the biggest threat to America at the moment?" Um, Mitt Romney said Russia was the biggest threat. Obama laughed at him. Obama said, you're an idiot, pretty much. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. Now, eight years on, the number one story, the number one pipeline, story, narrative pipeline coming out of the Democratic Party is that Russia is the worst thing um, and should be stopped at all costs. And even uh, a- attempting to converse with them or to negotiate is is abhorrent. Now, this is this is after... Obama was caught on the secret mic saying to um, I, one of the, the foreign ministers from Russia um, saying that, quote, um, after I get re-elected, I'm going to have more freedom, essentially, mm-hmm. which was essentially saying I can do whatever I want with you and help you do whatever you need to do after I get re-elected, mm-hmm. right? That is an absolute scandal. That is scandalous. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to hear a quick conspiracy? A quick conspiracy? Yeah, you know? shoot. Apparently, this is, you know, depending how deep you want to go with the conspiracy. Um, Russia is very rich in natural gas, right? Um, but there are several countries with trade restrictions and, and things against Russia. Anyway, um, Russia wants to build a natural gas pipeline from Russia that goes into Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, my understanding is that there's, that pipeline would actually go through Syria. And there's a range of economic stakeholders who do not want that pipeline to be built and supply cheap energy into Europe. One of them being America, who would be supplying uh, some of that energy into Europe. Um, So there is, I've heard arguments that like kind of through the CIA and a few other things. um, Yeah. 
they want to prevent that pipeline at all costs. Now it's conspiracy theory. I can't prove it, but so they're so they're we, backing they're backing a, a kind of a, a mismatch mix match of hodgepodge bunch of rebels <laughs> in order to destabilize the situation in order to buy them some more some more time. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, anyway, we'll just leave that one out there. I'm happy. I'm happy for this show to to, to be the one that's that throws out conspiracy. Well, alleged, well, conspiracy theories are only conspiracy theories until they're proven true. Mm-hmm. Well. We've done a bit of Donald Trump. I'm sure there'll be much more Donald Trump in, in the future, but maybe we'll even return to him on this podcast. But speaking of conspiracy theorists, mm. breaking news over the last one or two weeks, Alex Jones and Infowars got deplatformed by almost everybody. Now, credit to Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, who kept Jones's Twitter account active. Um, and also, to an extent, Tim Cook of Apple, who although they took down um, Jones... That Jones, uh, what did they take him down on? Wow, Apple did mate, something. Mate, breaking news: Scott Morrison voted next Prime Minister of Australia, wow. defeating Peter Dutton forty-five to forty. Wow, wow, we, wow, we, we have one star. I'm not uh, supposed to be emotional on this program. It's <laughs> supposed to be objective, but the idea of ScoMo as or of Julie Bishop deputy, probably. If she challenges, surely she couldn't be the deputy. What was well? I mean, if they're both challenging with Malcolm's blessing, they'll probably it'll probably be a bishop deputy. I think she loves being the deputy. Okay, um, so we have a scomo Josh prime minister. Friedenberg becomes deputy. Friedenberg, oh Friedenberg deputy. I cannot stand that. Bro. So Friedenberg was the whole person who orchestrated the. The clean energy targets and the Paris Agreement. is the architect behind Australia's energy policy. And Australia's, like, Australia's got what, like, the top, in the top three in terms of energy prices in the world? Yeah, and before we used to have the cheapest energy. You know, so many countries, you look at Japan and China, right? So, when I'm in, when I live in China, I can basically keep the air conditioning on the whole day when it's super hot and I pay hardly anything. Right. One of the reasons why that can happen is because China buys Australian coal yeah. and then burns it and doesn't charge ridiculous prices on it. Now, Australia has, as you might guess, Australian coal, um, but, cho- <laughs> but chooses to whack massive like prices on it, which means if you're an old pensioner, you, you can hardly afford to get out of bed and do stuff or like... Because it's just so cold. Turn, you can't just afford so cold. to turn the heater on. And so this, this is the thing. This is it's what happens during a recession and what, ha- what happens during um, prices, uh, price surges to do with anything to do with energy. You, people die. Like this is, you know, it's all fun and games to play politics Some winter deaths. People die when this, when this crap happens. Like when these idiots are up there architect, like designing energy policy when they've got no flipping idea what they're doing. Mm. People die. Mm. Well, this is one of the, um, as a little side note, if I, you know, if I was the uh, Prime Minister and I could make one change, I would probably say um, I would make all politicians paid the average Australian wage after tax. That's what actually I would do. But, you know, vote for me. Um, But um, because these, but what I'm saying is that these politicians don't, you know, they can, you know, if you're an upper middle class person, you can afford to pay for the extra power. It's the people in places that can't afford to pay for it. They get but hit. Even then, they even don't then know. But the struggling. politicians don't know what it's like to live in a in a in a cold house where you and your family can't really get to sleep because it's so damn cold. It's pretty disgusting, and it, it is an egregious um, abuse of. That's what I'm saying. Swap privilege. houses. Swap houses. If you're the, if you're Josh Frydenberg, I want to see swap houses and swap incomes. I want I want Josh Frydenberg to have his own little wind turbine at the front of his house, and that <laughs> supplies all the electricity for his <laughs> suburb. That's what I want to see, and I want to see how much he you know how much of an advocate he becomes after spending six months relying on a wind turbine in. Uh, Southwest Sydney. God, That's what I want to see. Frydenberg. Frydenberg's just come up with, uh, you know, he had a pretty trash first two cards, but you know, the one, the next five that just came out just all went his way. He got a full house at the end after I, Scott look, Morrison got the royal flush. So you've got easily the least potent duo <laughs> in arguably in Australian political I just don't history under, between Frydenberg and Scott Morrison. Um, I'm going to start a hashtag called uh, the Soy Boys, specifically related <laughs> to ScoMo 
and Frydenberg. I just, I just don't understand how they're going to be any improvement on uh, Turnbull and and Bishop. I can understand how Turnbull wants to keep these guys in uh, and the Liberal Party moderates want to keep these guys in, but I don't understand how all the people that were dissatisfied with Turnbull went and voted for ScoMo and uh, Frydenberg. It's, it's the factions. Anyway. It's the factions. Anyways, anyways I'm, let's quickly finish on... Heartbreaking. Um, let's quickly finish on Alex Jones. So Jack Dorsey kept him up. We also um, want to do minimum wage quickly. Jack Dorsey kept him up. Um, he's got his app, I believe, on the Apple Store still up. Yep. Anyway, banned from YouTube, Facebook, um, kind of, I think, everywhere yeah, he's else. he's on porn sites as well. <laughs> he actually had videos on porn sites, and they banned him as well. <laughs> <laughs> Who was seeing Alex Jones on, um, allegedly, on like, Pornhub and, and you porn? <laughs> That's so funny. And um, it's like the thumbnails, like Alex Jones, you know, like when he's like on a horse, yeah, like, like, yeah with no the shirt, shirt on, coming to save the that world. That super male vitality. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So we'll quickly touch on Alex Jones. We'd love to extend it out. Our only problem is, you know, we're we're a bit constrained by our situations in a range of ways. We understand that the cleaner is coming in less than fifteen minutes, so we've got a couple of topics to finish before they walk in the door. Yeah. Um, let's pump. Let's pump through this. Okay. Alex Jones got banned for. Yep. Hate speech. Yep. Not not actually anything recent that he said. Apparently, I think it's mostly about Sandy Hook, um, where Alex Jones did not believe that the Sandy Hook massacre, the school shooting, was a fake news. No. Terrible thing to say. Crisis actors. Crisis actors. Now, Jones, in his defence, has been proven right on several conspiracy theories, um, but. Um, you know, one of them being pedophilia in, in Washington. There's a range of, particularly out of the Democratic Party, if you look in kind of the last year or two, a range of um, particularly senior Democrats who have stepped out of a pedophilia charges. Now, the media didn't cover this at all. Alex Jones was the only one that covered it. Um, Alex Jones, um, you know... Well, we can look up next time. We can talk about the things Alex Jones actually has got right. But he has a natural, I would say, healthy distrust of government. I would agree. Has a healthy distrust of... Healthy skepticism. CIA and FBI. Yeah, I would agree. He he was talking about we should get out of, you know, Afghanistan and the Middle East for a long time. Yeah. Um, But um, anyway, so he's been deplatformed. Bill Maher came out and defended him. We give props to Bill Maher for that, who said free speech, you know, free speech doesn't count if it's just free speech that you agree with. Free speech only counts if it's for free speech, uh, people you disagree with. Um, So we, you know, we on this platform endorse that. We think everybody should speak. And if they speak trash, like you should just be able to easily disprove it. This is is the the basic idea that people people keep talking about. Like, I I mean, CNN, like Jim Acosta was asked, what do you think of... of, um, Infowars being banned, and uh, Jim Acosta says, um, "Well, you know, we as journalists we deal with facts and the truth, and if you're not friends with the truth, kind of, you know, you get what's coming to you." Mm. Now, this is Jim Acosta from CNN, fake news media, right? <laughs> this is Jim Acosta, and he's saying that. And so, like, my thing is, is that number one, we talked about it a little bit on the last podcast. Um, there is always a risk that what you're saying is not true, okay? And kind of the arrogance to assume that everything that you think you know is true is true, number one, it inhibits progress. Um, and progress in terms of problem-solving. Because in terms of problem solving. at its most basic level, free speech is a problem-solving mechanism, right? Absolutely. So what I, what I would say is um, you... Free speech is absolutely imperative because even the people on the fringes, even the people who are considered extremists now may not be considered extremists in 50 years when in hindsight we look back and say, you know what, they actually got things right. So let's talk about people who got in trouble uh, for saying things that were true in their time period. Firstly, Socrates, stoned to death for corrupting the youth, but is basically uh, the foremost... uh, one of the foremost ancient Western, Greek philosophers, Western philosophers, uh, yeah. Western philosophers um, trained Plato, who consequently trained Aristotle, who trained Alexander the Great. Yep. Um, he got killed for corrupting the youth. 
Um, and if you look at anything he said, he's like the nicest guy. Everyone would love him today. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Galileo. Galileo. You Persecuted t- by the church. Um, just the most classic example. Um, we've still got a few flat earthers around today. And Copernicus. We'll throw Copernicus throw in with Galileo. Copernicus in there as well. Very offensive to the Catholic Church. Highly, highly offensive. Yeah. Offensive to the very core of their being. Absolutely. And, and But, but because important, they, side note, side note. Um, the church then had to reform itself. It had it, The church has had to reform itself a, a number of times. So you, you obviously had kind of the Galileo and then you've had like Martin Luther um, and kind of uh, uh, after uh, kind of the... Um, the witchcraft as well as also post all the crusades yeah, i tell you what the witches they were highly offensive the alleged they was, witches they were super offensive right super offensive turns out they weren't witches right <laughs> but um the, the church has reformed itself on, on a number of different occasions how about charles darwin darwin super great. offensive because if the idea that god didn't snap his fingers and human beings were god that would have been offensive that would have been so offensive at the time. That's more. That's 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 not like um, that's you are not, challenging the very core of what people believed it meant to be human. Yeah, which is which is that's this, at least a ten out of ten offensive rating that's a, from that's, Charles Darwin. That's a, that's a nine nine. <laughs> that's a strong nine. Um, and and then what what I will say though is and so what the only thing I'll relate that to is if you're saying that criticism of Muhammad or drawing pictures of Muhammad, mm. uh, you know, it's so bad. You see, like the Charlie Hebdo shooting. You yeah. see the media coverage. Half the, you know, half the media is saying, um, you know, oh god, it was bad that they all got shot. But you know, they really knew what they were doing. Like they knew yeah. they were being offensive and provocative. Like it's almost their fault. Or you see, um, you see the Grand Mufti in Australia who called for it to be crimi- criti- public criticism of Muhammad to be criminalised. Yeah. Right now, you wonder, geez, we might actually have some problems that yeah. uh, free speech might help us to solve. Yeah. And almost always the solution to the problems that we face today is actually more conversation rather than less. I agree. I agree. Um, but one of, the, one, of the, one of the issues that we have uh, kind of with Facebook, Twitter um, censoring content is because basically Facebook and Twitter have to decide whether or not they are a, a platform for free speech or they are actually a content producing um, business, right? Because if they are actually, in fact, a content-producing business, then they could be, in fact, um, sued for libel, right? Um, so, the, so as soon as they start discriminating based on who should be on the platform because of the general image of it, mm-hmm. they actually become a content-producing mm-hmm. site. Now, to all those people who will say, "Well, Alex Jones, you know, we kind of accept him," but in general, we're for free speech. We would also highlight Gavin McInnes, just been banned. One of the funniest guys going around. And you know what? I don't agree with him on everything. Um, I think he's normally right. Um, but he's hilarious. And we need more. We need, we need more jokes. And this, this he's is, a comedian. What I was going to say before when we talked about kind of the, like, the way that the left used to be kind of the um, big crusaders for free speech. Um, what happens is the left used to be the, the, the ones who were funny, right? The left used to be the ones kind of poking fun at the big kind of... Um, almost archaic structure of society that was kind of pushed and propelled by these ultra conservatives who were super rigid and not um, able to kind of move or, or on their positions, right? Mm. And so that was what was funny. It was like poking fun at the establishment. The whole thing has flipped. The people on the right are now the funny ones. Like you look at these late night um, show hosts like Jimmy Kimmel, um, Stephen Colbert, Trevor Noah. They're not actually funny. People aren't actually finding them funny. Because they're, they're just kind of the orthodoxy. It's like Donald Trump is dumb, cue laughter. And yeah. it's the same joke. It's, the same, gag. it's the same gag every time. And so this is what's happening. The people on the right are actually the ones who are doing the memes and mm. are, are, are the ones making actually funny jokes. And this is how you can normally tell who's kind of, who's in power in the sense in controlling the dialogue. Because people that are controlling the dialogue can't be funny. They, they, they can't be because there's an inherent friction between people wanting to find kind of a chink in the armor, which is kind of like a, a funny take on reality, which is why kind of the Jews are always so funny because it's basically about real mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Um, um, well, one thing we can say on that, Kim Jong-un banned sarcastic comments in his <laughs> uh, government because he realized all Rocket these people man. were making fun of him. Rocket man. Also, I wish I could remember, I think it might have been in... Czech Republic um, 
in the 1980s, I think, when they were still in the Soviet bloc, and it might have been Czechoslovakia. Anyway, there was one um, famous book written. Um, this is just one of the times where I'm just going to uh, say a few things and can't back them up, and hopefully, uh, you know, we can find them later on. We'll get fact-checked later. Anyway, um, they talked about when they're in the Soviet Union and they had this kind of super heavy government presence. They couldn't actually say anything. They couldn't say, well, this is wrong. This is what I think, blah, blah, blah. So they actually had that first language of obedience to kind of the established doctrines of the state. But they also had a second language of jokes, which couldn't yeah. be policed. They had yeah. a totally second language underneath, which only the people, I think it was in the Czech Republic, uh, knew and understood and would engage in. And that was actually one of the most effective ways of um, criticizing the government, but also one of the most feared ways, uh, you know, if from the government's perspective. Well, 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 one of the reasons why Milo was so effective, Milo Yiannopoulos, is because he's actually pretty funny. He's a funny guy. Um, mm. And same thing with Gavin. Gavin um, does not have a degree in economics or politics or political science or anything like that. He, he's pretty much a comedian, but he's able to point out the funny, like how rigid and how ridiculous things have, have become. And, and the truth is funnier than, than, funnier than fiction. Mm. Um, kind of seeing the way that... Um, People are willing to almost turn everything and kind of grab a, a, a kind of a general thesis or whatever and reduce it to something that can be attacked in kind of this straw man fashion. It's, it's, it's gone way too far, but it's also funny. It's also funny. And that's mm-hmm. what I say when people say, well, start banning comedians on campuses and stuff like that. Yeah. Jokes are just as important as any other type of speech, no matter how offensive. I think there's a good chance stand-up comedy could even be the highest form of like public speaking. I, um, I, I think you're probably right. I would back you on that. Um, and I, I want to do some stand-up comedy in China. I think that'd be funny. But anyway, why don't you would give you us the... in Chinese? No, nah, in English. Why don't you give us the, the rundown on minimum wage? Okay, cool. So just the kind of the 30 sec- the elevated pitch, so to speak. Um, basically, the idea behind the minimum wage was originally to give kind of a base standard, base income for anyone who's working to prevent and kind of the was, expo- exploitation it, of, of the employer. It was like giving... The poor people. It's supposed to be giving the poor people more power against evil kind of monopoly, monopolistic, tyrannical employers. Okay. Now the problem is, when you have a minimum wage, is let's just say it's fifteen dollars an hour. Um, if you're saying to the employer, you got to pay me fifteen dollars an hour for the employer to actually hire you in the first place, you have to be worth more than fifteen dollars an hour. You can be fifteen dollars and ten cents, but if you cannot produce fifteen dollars and ten cents, then they're not going to hire you. It doesn't make economical sense, right? So, the issue is is whether or not the government has a right to interject in in the relationship between a potential employee and an employer well, on the basis that. Yeah. That's half the issue, I think. Half the issue is whether the government has a right to intervene. The second half is the practical aspect. Sure, 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 sure. Um, so there's one theoretical, one practical. Yeah, well, like in terms of what? Well, if you're the government, you know, violates consent, right? In that, yeah. And that's one part. Um, but that's not really... You can't see that. You know, it's not tangible. It's hard to see. What it, Where you actually see it happening is when you're a guy, let's say you're a black inner city kid, who uh, went to a crappy government school, dropped out when you know, you know, when you're really young, you're actually not educated no. to create fifteen bucks worth of stuff. No, sure. And if the minimum wage is fifteen bucks, you have to understand that you'll never, ever, ever, ever get a job. Yeah. Your family, your kids will just be on, and it's like this terrible poverty trap. Yeah. When kids just stay on it's welfare the whole time. Now, um, you know. Is it, what else did you want to develop well, on that? All, all I was going to say is that... So you, so people want to talk about immigrants' rights and stuff like that and, and kind of the way that uh, employers discriminate against people of colour, against people of um, ethnic backgrounds, different genders, whatever. The, the, the baseline is, if you're not worth what I'm paying you, I'm not going to pay you for it. That's a fact, number one. And you can always see that. And, and the people who aren't going to be worth initially the minimum wage are the people um, who are low-skilled, um, poor grades, uh, no qualifications, okay, three. So those are the people, almost always, are the people who come from minority uh, backgrounds, um, who are uh, recent immigrants or uh, kind of socioeconomic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't even talk about um, automation. 
Like if you're a yep. low, like let's talk about low skilled jobs you can get. Let's say you work at McDonald's. Let's say the government put, puts a 15 bucks an hour minimum wage. McDonald's says, well, it doesn't make sense for us to employ people at minimum wage anymore. We're going to replace everybody. We're going to have maybe two chefs out the back. Everything else is going to be done on iPads because that makes more economic sense. Now, who, who loses out? Well, it's not the educated middle class. It's the people who are almost, you know, worth 15 bucks. But just not quite. But just not quite. Yeah. And 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 look, and the people who were worth fifteen bucks might have been worth fifteen bucks, but uh, were now too too expensive compared to iPads. Sure, and 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 and, and so the minorities, the, the the people from the who who are traditionally kind of second, first generation immigrants, um, who are traditionally kind of from the lower socioeconomic backgrounds, those are the people who pay the price the most. Um, it is by far the most discriminatory policy against people of lower socioeconomic backgrounds, um, against immigrants, um, against diff- people of different ethnicities. It is by far the most destructive and discriminatory policy that the government of almost all Western nations are practicing. Um, and the, the, the next time you, you hear people saying, well, um, we should raise the minimum wage, that is uh, another hundred couple hundred several hundred thousand ordinary australians who are trying to get their first job learn some skills become qualified in something who will never get a run okay um the cleaners are overdue by one minute and i'm not willing to i think get into another topic because i think we've done pretty well i think we've covered all almost um last things to say a bit of housekeeping this podcast is brought to you by my style suits go and check out the my style suits instagram facebook page website uh you can what's your uh, instagram tag alex where can people find you uh me personally yeah um at alex cameron 15 but i don't know if we're going to be publicly oh uh, you can find me at if you just look up dougal cameron d-o-u-g-a-l uh, yeah well, cameron. we might as well follow us we might as well we're on Produ- produce some good content um sorry about the beers uh, no beers today i've got work this afternoon so um we were, drink, we were on the waters today, weren't we? Yeah, we're on the waters. We're on the healthy healthy diets. I'm getting on the um, kefir. He's on the kefir. Maybe we can talk about that in the next episode. Next episode. Gut health. Unbelievably important post-antibiotics because you need to build your gut flora and fauna. Unbelievably important. I cannot stress it enough. Uh, this is just a quick one. People have this idea of kind of the wig version of history, which is essentially the idea that humans have been always... Um, 2018 is always invariably better than 2017. We're always adding onto knowledge. Nothing gets lost. Only things get added to. This is kind of the weak version of history. Unfortunately, it's not the case. Um, we often lose stuff in kind of the ancient sphere, which is actually unbelievably practical in terms of real uh, modern day. Kefir's one of them. Look it up. 100%. Have a look. Try it. Any uh, Anything you want to leave the audience with? Any interesting... One just interesting thought I had, kind of strange, you can take it or leave it. People talk about it's the little things in life that matter. Um, I just was thinking about it the other day and I thought, well, maybe it's not so much, um, it's it's the, the, the little things, but just so much like when we're in a capitalist environment, which, you know, we love capitalism here, but it means we almost always put a higher value on things that are scarce. But sometimes I think you can win when you put the same amount of value on things that are not scarce. So maybe having a conversation with your brother will actually be just as valuable, make you just as happy as if you someone was to give you the opportunity to go and drive out a Lamborghini for the day. Mm. Maybe that will make you equally as happy. Maybe it won't. Um, but maybe think about what are the things you put value on um, and whether scarcity is, uh, you know, is, is a valuable metric by which to judge. Well, I'll just leave them with this. Um, one of my heroes... Um is a guy called uh, Thomas Sowell, S-O-W-E-L-L. Um, if you ever want to see someone who bucks the trend, who is just data-driven, analytical, and pretty much uh, is one of the biggest proponents of the removal of the minimum wage, it is this guy, and he backs it up. He's studied it. He's absolutely the man on this, and he's African-American, and he, 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 is, he is one of my heroes. I mean, it'll be an absolute tragedy when he passes. He's in his 90s, I believe, or late we 80s. We can go to the funeral. We'll get everyone I'm... on this podcast. Everyone will fly them all out to the funeral. There's no doubt in my mind. I'll have a, a little bit of a breakdown when he goes. But um, I would say Thomas Salt. He's on YouTube, some of his best bits. He just wrecks people. Like, he did an interview them. recently with Dave Rubin. Anyway, um, 
that wraps it, I think. Also, name... Do you want to give a shout-out quickly? Um, yeah, I'm happy that? to give a shout-out to Socrates, our man who got um, smashed by the Athenian population for I'm... corrupting the youth. He would... I'll read the passage of the book next time in the history of philosophy. Anyway, basically what it says is he was a short guy and very ugly, but was able to win people over because he was very unassuming and he would just talk to people about anything. He would talk to them about politics, economy, yeah. uh, history, philosophy, housekeeping, health, yeah. you know, fitness, house decorations. Um, and he wouldn't. He would just talk with everybody. He'd talk to them in the marketplace, at the gym. He'd talk to the lenders. Um, he'd, talk, he'd talk to his family. He talked to politicians. He talked to whoever. And what ended up happening, because he talked to anyone about anything, he became like this. His mind just became totally in tune so to human sharp. Yeah. And he became totally conditioned to reality. Um, and that's kind of part of the inspiration for this podcast. Before I started the podcast, I wanted to call it Corrupting the Youth. Um, but there's one other podcast out there that has like two episodes, which is called Corrupting the Youth. Um, so any name suggestions... Any uh, advice, tips, any production tips? I'm, Even a tweet, send us something um, awful. We're pretty bad with computers. If you want us to talk about something, any questions, you know, we're on it. Um, but that's uh, that's about it. I'll oh, make right. We can make a little introduction video about what this podcast about name to achieve in the future. Um, but we just thought it's better to get something on the ground yeah. um, than, uh, than be worrying about perfection. I agree. Get something out there. Have a crack first. Shoot first. Suit first, ask questions later. Suit My first. Style Suits, check them out. Cheap suit rentals, unbelievably good quality. Uh, Sydney area. Run by two of the best business geniuses Free delivery, in the one world. to two business days at your door. Talk about service. That's My Style Suits. Beautiful. We'll see you later. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks for being with us.